0: wfyi podcast brought to you by bloomington indiana an american college town offering food and drink college sports outdoor activities live music cool art and good times daily everyone is welcome in bloomington more information at visit bloomington.com
1: we're gonna take a trip right now Like we always do about this time. This is a journey into
2: sound. (laughs) Break it down. I'm Kyle Long, and you're listening to Cultural Manifesto. On this week's show, my guest will be the singer and songwriter Emily Rogers. She has a new album out titled I Will Be Gone. And we'll have another edition of Rebel Music with Carla Lopez a new segment on Cultural Manifesto that explores the relationship between music and activism. This week, Carla's guest will be Claudia Montez Salinas, a co-founder of the Latino Youth Collective. But first, I'll be speaking with Emily Rogers. Emily is a native of Elkhart, Indiana, and will be discussing her time growing up in northern Indiana. Emily's music has been compared to Mazzy Star, Cat Power, and Neil Young. Let's hear an example from her new album, I Will Be Gone. This is Emily Rogers with Down. I'm Kyle Long, and you're listening to Cultural Manifesto. We just heard Emily Rogers with Down. And that song is the opening track off Emily's new album, I Will Be Gone. Let's join my conversation with Emily Rogers. Emily, thank you for joining us today.
3: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
2: And you have a new album coming out through Shimmy Disc Records titled, I Will Be Gone. We're gonna listen to some tracks off that record this week. But first, I wanted to talk a little bit about your background. Uh, You currently live in Pittsburgh, but you spent your formative years living in Northern Indiana. From what I understand, you largely grew up in Elkhart and you attended college at Goshen College. Uh, I wanted to learn a little bit about your time in Indiana. Did you have a good experience uh, growing up here in Indiana?
3: It did, yeah, it was a great place to grow up.
2: How did your time here kind of shape your identity as a musician?
3: Well, I mean, I was always really fortunate. I was able to take piano lessons, like fourth grade through high school. I was able to play viola. We had a really strong music program at my school. I also, I I grew up going to a Mennonite church where everyone sings in four-part harmony. Like if there are more than four Mennonites anywhere, they will be singing in four-part harmony. So that's really, I think, like I've never been in choir ever in my life, but I think I got a pretty good education just singing hymns at church. Um, I would always sing the alto part once I realized I could do it. And I think think that's where I really learned to sing.
2: Sometimes growing up outside of a sort of large, bustling city can be an isolating experience for people who are interested in arts. Was that the case for you? Was it an isolating experience growing up in Northern Indiana, or did you have sort of a community of of friends and artists that you were connected with?
3: That's a good question. Like at Goshen, like at college, I definitely did. Um, It was also a Mennonite college and Mennonites are very musical. So in that way I did, but I, you know, when I was in high school, really nobody played music. Like I don't remember anyone having a band, anything like that. So it was my more just like listening to music and learning to play like more classical styles of music, um, but there really, there really weren't people doing it, you know, the way that I do now, like the way that people do where I live now, where people, you know, are in bands throughout their lives. There's a lot going on, so I would say, I would say it was pretty isolating, just in that I think a lot of people with artistic aspirations they leave because it's really hard to do what you want to do in a small town. So it was like people around really respected the arts, but no one was really doing it, if that makes sense, or doing it in earnest.
2: Were you doing it? Were you playing shows? Were you performing in bands at this point in your life?
3: I started performing just at like coffee houses, performing covers, and actually I still really love singing covers. I think there's something pretty special in interpreting somebody else's work. but. That's how I started um at Goshen, would just play like the I don't know, we had we had a bunch of they were they were like open mic situation um kind of things. And then my senior year I did a more formal like performance at school and I formed a band for that. We were called <laughs> we were called the openers because it was our dream to open for someone <laughs> one day. <laughs> that was in like two thousand two. Um, so that, that was like my first time ever having a band. And I think I wrote maybe one song of my own when I was a senior in college, but it wasn't until I moved to Pittsburgh that I really started writing.
2: And it feels like you were able to get started in Pittsburgh pretty quickly because it wasn't long after your move that you started uh, recording and releasing your own music. Is that correct?
3: Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I ended up finding musicians to play with pretty quickly. I just really put myself out there. Um, you know, made it clear that that's what I was looking for. And I was also working at a music nonprofit at the time, and we did, um, it's called Calliope, the Pittsburgh Folk Music Society. And they would have an open mic night that I started like helping to host. And it was a pretty good way to meet people and at least find out about like what bands were happening in town. Um, and then I just, you know, I really did start going out, and if I liked a band, I would approach them afterward. So I was pretty like I was pretty active in working toward what I wanted.
2: And Emily, I can scrap this question if you don't have an answer for this or if it doesn't apply to your work in any way. But I was curious if there's a song you've written and recorded that speaks at all to your time growing up in Indiana?
3: It's hard to say because I like I don't ever really set out set out to write like a story song. It's it's often I don't even really know what I'm writing about. It's sort of I'm just writing writing about whatever is sort of going around in my head. So you could conceivably say all of the songs are about growing up in Indiana or none of the songs. I would say all of them. I mean, it's kind of just me writing about, you know, the totality of what's going on in my head.
2: That's a great answer. So I'm okay. just going <laughs> to, I had a couple songs picked out from your back catalog that I wanted to share. So maybe these apply, maybe they don't, but I did want to give you a chance to say something about these pieces before we listen. The songs I have picked out to share are Hurricane off your 2009 album, Bright Day, and Burnout from your 2016 album, Two Years. Anything you want to say about these songs before we listen?
3: Um, no, I just, I, I love that you picked those two, um, especially Hurricane is, is always close to my heart. Um, I just played that the other day and I hadn't played it in so long. Um, yeah, that, that song was really close to my heart in two years, two years as well.
2: well. Well, we'll just let them speak for themselves. This is Emily Rogers with Hurricane and Burnout.
4: Too much of love, too much of love.
2: Kyle Long, and you're listening to Cultural Manifesto. We just heard Hurricane and Burnout by Emily Rogers, and Emily Rogers is my guest this week. She has a new album coming out titled I Will Be Gone, and we're going to be listening to some tracks off that record later on in the program. And Emily, in 2020, the Indianapolis-based record label Joyful Noise Recordings formed a partnership with the legendary musician and producer Kramer. And together, they relaunched Kramer's very influential record label, Shimmy Disc, which had shut down operations in the late 1990s. And your new album, I Will Be Gone, is being released through this newly relaunched version of Shimmy Disc. And Kramer has a really fascinating history in music. Some of the artists he's worked with include Daniel Johnston, White Zombie, The Butthole Surfers, Ween, Jad Fair, uh, Maureen Tucker of The Velvet Underground, and on and on and on. I recently had a chance to interview Kramer and write about his music, and I referred to him as a defining figure in post-punk music, which is maybe not even enough of a superlative to really describe his impact on American uh, underground rock music. Uh, Kramer has been a real champion of your work. He's produced several of your albums, and he refers to you as a songwriter in the classic sense of the term. Can you tell us about your connection with Kramer and how you started working together?
3: Yeah, um, so Kramer actually reached out to me, I'm trying to think when it was, it was probably 2007, it was quite a long time ago, um, and I honestly, I, I wasn't entirely sure who he was, like that kind of ties into what I grew up, you know, with a pretty limited, like we didn't have college radio station, anything like that, so I, I didn't know who he was, but my husband was like, oh my god, um, so thank goodness for that. So we, you know, got back to Kramer and we really excited to, to meet him and work with him. Um, and it really quickly like turned into an important personal relationship for both of us. Um, but he, so he reached out to me and then we ended up, he, he, uh, mixed and mastered bright day, which was my second record. And then the third record we did together, he came to Pittsburgh and he also produced it in addition to mixing and mastering. And then this time he came to Pittsburgh. Um, it was just me, my husband and guitar player, Eric Sorelli and Kramer. Uh, we just, we had him booked for six days. We did all the recording in our attic. We wrote and recorded the entire thing in six days. So Kramer is much more than producer on this record. I mean, I really felt like this was a partnership between all three of us, um, this particular record.
2: Yeah, I wanted to ask you about working with Kramer as a producer. He's not your typical record producer or your typical music business uh, insider. It it feels like he approaches music from almost a philosophical place, and and this is something that's uh, an art form to him that he's deeply respectful of. What is it like to work with him, and what does he add to the creative process while you're recording?
3: I would say, you know, if nothing else, he is— a big champion. I mean, he he believes in me when I don't believe in myself and he pushes me and I can't imagine how frustrating that must have been over the years. I mean, I really struggle with debilitating perfectionism and my output is so low. It's uh, something that I'm working on for sure. But now Kramer is just, he's never given up on me. He's, I don't know. He's just is so supportive and sees something in me when i don't see it in myself steadfastly like he he it's unwavering um and after a while it's hard to disagree with you know when someone else is thinking that positively and encouraging you and demanding you to create something it's really hard not to
2: i mentioned this uh, amazing legacy of music that uh we associate with shimmy disc does it mean anything to you to have your music released through this newly reformed version of shimmy disc
3: definitely definitely um and if nothing else i mean i it's cool to see that part of kramer's story you know sort of coming back to life and realizing how important that label has been to so many people um you know reaching out to me and making that clear to me it's been really i mean i'm I'm beyond honored you know to be in that roster of you know even just a few of the bands that you named, I mean, Beyond, blown away by that. But it's also just really cool to see this, you know, really important thing up and running again.
2: And Emily, up next, I wanna share the title track from I Will Be Gone. Anything you wanna share about this piece before we listen?
3: No, just that, that that is actually the one piece that I had prepared before Kramer came. Um, I was supposed to have an entire album written and I had one song written. And this was that song. Uh, so yeah <laughs> that, that kind of outs me outs me for the or at least makes clear the repercussions of my extremely debilitating perfectionism. Um, but that is one song. like I think this song is a little bit different because it, it was fully formed when when Kramer came.
2: Well let's listen to that track. This is Emily Rogers with "I Will Be Gone." long and you're listening to cultural manifesto we just heard emily rogers with the title track of her new album i will be gone and emily rogers is my guest this week and emily you mentioned that uh, when it came time to record the album that was the only song you had written and you also mentioned that uh, you suffer from a debilitating perfectionism as you referred to it and i think that's something that many artists that I work with here in Indianapolis, struggle with at various levels, which is sort of a sense that the work is never fully ready to release or share with the public. Is there anything you've learned in in struggling with this that you would share with other artists as sort of a (laughs) way to get beyond that?
3: Yeah. um, I mean, I would say if you are like me in that way I would say always record with a producer I mean I cannot imagine trying to do this without someone there to be like okay that's great moving on you know I would be recording the same thing over and over and over and over again for years (laughs) if it were up to me which I think just isn't a great way to make music like there's there's something to be said for you know spontaneity in vocal lines so having having Kramer there to just be like okay great next is really helpful. I would say, you know, if you can get other voices involved, that is probably what's been most helpful for me.
2: Yeah, finding uh, someone you can trust that can help you kind of see the music from a different perspective. Exactly. And Emily, up next, I want to share the track, The Chain, which you dedicate to the poet W.S. Merwin. And I know you've studied literature extensively, and you've taught writing courses at the college level and I'm curious how your work as a teacher and student of literature has influenced your work as a songwriter.
3: Yeah, I would say, I mean, it's it's difficult to overstate, I mean, how much it has impacted. Like I, at Goshen, I majored in English, and we didn't have a creative writing program, but I took all the creative writing classes that I could. So really, I mean that's how I've learned to write songs and that was honestly an early frustration of mine when I graduated from Goshen like had there been or were there ever an MFA in songwriting excuse me I would have done that immediately but that's just not you know it's it's I guess when I'm really interested in something and I want to be good at something I want to learn everything there is to learn about it and there's no way to study songwriting at least in an explicit way you know in, in graduate school, like in high-level academic way. And so, honestly, when I I went for one year um, to Chatham University here studying writing, like creative writing, that was the closest thing that I could find. Honestly, that was my, my sort of version of trying to do this academic study of songwriting.
2: And how does the chain connect with W.S. Merwin? Was it inspired by his life and work or yeah, you tell us. Yeah.
3: Um, well, actually, I I had read him in college, like when I was an undergrad, and probably hadn't thought about him since, but I really liked his work. And when we were recording, um, I had no idea that he and Kramer were close friends, and he passed away right when we were recording that song. Um, so it was pretty emotional for Kramer, and, you know, it was a poet that I had also loved and so it was. It was literally like he he passed away just as we were recording that song. And I I think I just said to Kramer, I was like, can we dedicate this song to him? And he said, absolutely. And the line comes from um, it comes from I wish I could remember. I'm actually, gonna look it up. From one of his poems. Um, it's called A Chain to Her Leg, and it is about literally looking in the new yorker to tell me it's about topsy about an elephant um it's a really tragic poem but it's a really beautiful poem so that's where the the chain comes from it's not an well it is an accidental fleetwood mac <laughs> reference but it's really from a ws merwin poem called the chain to her lake
2: well, let's listen to that track this is emily rogers with the chain I'm Kyle Long, and you're listening to Cultural Manifesto. My guest this week is Emily Rogers, and we just heard a track from her new album, I Will Be Gone. And Emily, I have one final track to picked out to share, which is uh, Believer. Um, before we listen to that song, is there anything you want to share about uh, upcoming plans you have this year? I know the coronavirus shutdown has really <laughs> made it nearly impossible <laughs> for musicians to get out and share their music. But is there anything you have coming up this year that, that you want to share with our listeners?
3: Yeah, actually, we, we did decide, um, I think just a couple of weeks ago, we're going to play um, we're going to play a festival. <laughs> I'm literally looking up. I have, I have no idea. We're playing a festival in D.C. It's called the Rhizome Festival in June.
2: So you will be playing some select dates over the next few months?
3: Yeah, yeah, as much as we can, you know, in a responsible way.
2: Yeah. Have you ever played in Indianapolis before? I don't believe I've seen you.
3: You know, I haven't. And that's absurd because so many of my friends that I grew up with ended up moving to Indianapolis. Um, so it's really, it's pretty high on my list for once we're allowed to leave our homes again.
2: Yeah. Hopefully we'll see you here in Indianapolis sometime in the next uh, <laughs> couple years. <Yeah. laughs> and, you know, I really appreciate you taking time to talk with us today. Uh, anything you want to say about The Believer before we listen?
3: Um, no, I, I really like the piece and it, it closes out the record. And I think it's, that's exactly where it belongs on the record. Um, it's just sort of, I I guess most of my songs don't have super clear messages, you know, that they are this sort of like, uh, amalgam a lot of things, but I would say for this song, I think there's a persistent theme of just, um, you know, in the face of tragedy, persisting tragedy, consistent tragedy is this idea of being a believer, you know, just like sticking, sticking with it, um, just waiting to see what happens next. That's, that's thematically, I think, what ties this piece together.
2: I Will Be Gone is the new album from Emily Rogers. It's available on all digital music platforms. Uh, we're going to close with the album's final track, Believer. Emily, again, thank you so much for taking time to speak with us today and sharing this incredible music. The album is fantastic, so congrats on uh, on the release of the record, and, and thank you so much for uh, taking time to speak with me today.
3: Thank you so much, Kyle. This is great.
4: shoot me down there must be something here there must be something here when I saw you
2: That was Believer off the new album from Emily Rogers titled I Will Be Gone. Up next, we have another edition of Rebel Music with Carla Lopez. This is
5: Carla Lopez, and you're listening to Rebel Music on Cultural Manifesto. Me llamo Carla Lopez, y estás escuchando a música rebelde en Manifesto Cultural. Rebel Music explores the relationship between music and activism in Indiana and around the globe. My guest this week is Claudia Montes Salinas. Claudia is an educator, an activist, and a mother living in central Indiana and Claudia is a co-founder of the Latino Youth Collective. Claudia has focused her work on immigrant youth and serving working class families. She has previously worked as a college and career readiness coordinator with the Indianapolis Public Schools. Currently, she serves as the immigrant and refugee program specialist with the Indianapolis Public Library. Claudia, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me, Carla. So uh, a lot of the work that you do focuses on children, whether that's the children of immigrant families or children living in poverty. Why does so much of your work focus on the youth?
0: I don't know if it's poverty, but I, it does revolve around a lot on youth. Um, and I think it started when I was in high school, when I became involved in working with my classmates and then just the idea of of it evolving once i graduated from high school i still wanted to be somehow involved Mm -hmm. i guess my career allowed me to continue working with youth which is great so at first you know being a founding member of the latino youth collective allowed me to continue doing that and then my former job which was working for indianapolis public schools as a college and career readiness coordinator allowed me to even deepen that work even more so i I guess you can say just my career path with my passion just united, which is great.
5: So maybe not families living in poverty, but people from working class families.
0: Yes, you can, yeah, 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 definitely. And definitely a big um, push with immigrant and refugee communities. Mm-hmm. And Claudia, you are an immigrant yourself, correct? Yes, well, yeah, yeah. Where are you from originally? I am from a city called Reynosa, which is a border town with southern Texas. So I always tell people, if you can imagine where the Gulf of Mexico is and then where Texas connects with Mexico, I'm really close to that border town of, it's called the region, but it's really McAllen, Texas.
5: I remember I met you, what, 10, 15 years ago?
0: Probably 15, yeah. 15 years ago. When you were in high school. I was. Yeah.
5: I hadn't graduated from high school. No, I
0: think you were a sophomore.
5: Yes, this was before the Latino Youth Collective was... The Latino Youth Club. Yeah, it was... before
0: we became like a nonprofit, before, like, yeah, I think it was at Marion when Marion was Marion College.
5: That seems like such a long time ago.
0: Yeah, and it was like thanks to Sister Norma, yeah. who, you know, allowed us to have a space there. Thank
5: you, Sister Norma. Yes. May she rest in peace. Yes, may
0: she rest.
5: I remember really forming a bond with you because you were one of the few women leaders who were working with undocumented youth at the time. And so far in this segment, I have been focusing on interviewing women activists in Indianapolis because I feel like sometimes our voices are drowned out by men who often dominate dialogue in our culture. Have you ever felt like your voice is drowned out by the voices of men?
0: You know, um, historically, yes. Um, But I try to speak up as much as I can I think I grew up with a very strong maternal figure. Both my mother and my grandmothers were very, very strong women. I mean, my mom, my mom still is. Um, So I think that helped me and pushed me. (laughs) And there's a saying also that you know, women who are who are from the north of Mexico are very loud. Somos gritonas y no nos dejamos. So I think that that definitely helped me. But I do understand um, what you're saying. You know, if you look at who are, maybe, look at the organizations, and who are leading? There's very, very few women, who are maybe the executive directors, or the ones that are leading or taking charge um, to make, to be the final decision makers. But
5: you haven't personally felt it then here,
0: and I don't think I have. Okay, um, like Martin Luther King said, um, our Lives begin to end the moment we become silent about things that matter. And I, you know, I heard that when maybe when I was in high school, or by the time I, I met you. So, you know, those strong, like quotes, really get to me, and I try to live by them as much as I can. And lead with the example, of course. Um, working with youth, I always wanted to provide an example that things can be done. You know, si, si le echas las ganas, it, it's possible. Claudia, you brought some music to share with us today. What's your first song? So the first song is Los Caminos de la Vida by Los Ángeles Azules. So Los Caminos de la Vida kind of translates to the ways of our lives. Um, You know, being an immigrant, you can talk about where life has brought you. But this really comes to mind because one day my mom came back from work and she was listening to it. And she was crying because she was thinking about her parents, Um, and I remember just I'm like I turned like looked at my dad. I was like, "Why is she crying?" Um, he's like, "Oh, yeah, this just acordando de sus papas," like she's thinking about her parents. And this was when I was maybe like early high school, and just the song everyone knows the song. First of all, it's really nice to dance to the song because it's a cumbia. But just the lyrics bring so much meaning to who you are or who we are as immigrants.
5: And what are some of the lyrics?
0: I'm thinking in Spanish, I'm trying to translate at the same time. So the ways of our lives aren't what I thought they would be, aren't what they, what I want, I would have liked them to be. And then it talks about parents telling you maybe advice. The
5: singer is talking about his upbringing and he didn't know that there would be so many struggles as he went about living life. And as a child, you, you have no way of knowing what the future is going to hold, right?
0: You know, it's kind of like a ballad, but it, this version is a cumbia. So unless you put a lot of thought into it and analyze the lyrics, you really don't understand them until you you start digging in.
1: Los caminos de la vida no son como yo-
5: I feel like Los Angeles Azules are just like this universal force of togetherness. Like they bring people together from all over the world. Yes. I love Los Angeles Azules. Yeah,
0: yeah.
5: Was there a second song that you wanted
0: to share with us? Mis Ojos Lloran Por Ti by Big Boy. I don't even know if it's considered reggaeton or rap or what. But this song was very, very famous um, when I was in middle school. I went to Gambled Middle School 108, which is on the west side as well, like on like 38th and High School Road, and there were a lot of Latino students, and that identity I think really allowed me to work on who I was as, as a Mexican, um, one by speaking Spanish, and then having peers that looked like me because I don't think we had that many teachers that looked like us, but we created this strong community um, there, um, but. Mis Ojos Lloran Por Ti, it's a song who talks about a boy who's just sad and heartbroken, but I just remember being proud of knowing the lyrics and being able to sing to them because he raps pretty fast, but that just goes on to, to strengthen my parents' wish that I continued speaking Spanish and how we spoke Spanish at home and how that remains part of my identity and now I'm trying to teach that to my own daughter. Whenever I can, if I have the option of, say, speaking to you, I will always choose Spanish first. Um, it is the language that our mothers speak. It is our language that our grandparents speak or spoke.
5: Do you feel like, in a way, also speaking Spanish is making, being intentional about your presence, about making your presence known in spaces that, for example, maybe historically weren't made for you or...
0: Oh yeah, it is. And every time I introduce myself, you know, I, I don't anglicize my name. I always say Claudia Montes Salinas um like my mom would say it or like my dad would say it. And it is a way of, of honoring them and it's a way of of resisting to it doesn't matter how long I've been here. You know, I'm always siempre primero mexicana. Después Hoosier
5: first, you're first the Mexican sí, sí. woman, in Hoosier. Yes. Thank you. And then is there another song that you wanted to share with us? Yeah,
0: the last song is Nieves de Nero by Chalino Sanchez. This song is heard a lot by men, you can say, sitting around drinking late at night. Chalino is just so iconic. Um, my dad is from Zacatecas and my mom is from Tamaulipas, but I just have memories of my dad listening to it, and and I guess I would not like it when I would hear it because he would be drinking, but now I understand why, um, you know, they would play it. And it's it was that connection um, to have back home, just like, you know, I talked about with, with my mom. Um, and once you hear the song, it talks about waiting um for your love and how it's already you know snowing and and then it becomes spring and you know you're still not with that person but th- it has a really nice tone at the beginning with an accordion that is just very iconic to to Chalino and then the voice he he sings it's it's very different with his Norteño accent I think you can say um, that we don't we don't hear as much with current music
1: i te.
5: I personally really like the song. I like the part where he talks about
0: the May flowers. Uh-huh. Llegaron las flores de mayo.
5: Uh-huh. And just like the cycles of, yes. of life. So I can definitely understand and see where, why your parents, why Mexican parents are so drawn to someone like Chelino Sanchez. Yes. So if our listeners wanted to learn more about the work that you're doing with the Latino Youth Collective, they could go to wearecollective.org. And if they wanted to learn more about the work that you are doing with the Indianapolis Public Library, they could go to indypl.org. That's I-N-D-Y-P-L dot O-R-G. Yes. Thank you, Claudia, so much for being here with us today. I really appreciate your time. It's good to catch up with you.
0: Gracias, Carla. Thank you.
5: My guest this week has been Claudia Montes Salinas. Stay tuned for future editions of Rebel Music on Cultural Manifesto.
2: That's all the time we have for this week. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Kyle Long, and you've been listening to Cultural Manifesto.